Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast that aims to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute and a wide array of F1 subject matter experts that cover every aspect of F1 from racing to politics, tech, news and business. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and just a tiny bit of Missed Apex admin for you on the last episode, I told you that we would be moving to Acast to host the RSS feed for this show. What I didn't mention was that you don't need to do anything. So don't panic. Just because we're moving our hosting service, you will still get the show on your same podcatcher, whether that be Dogcatcher, Pocketcast, or the iOS app on your iPhone. You shouldn't have to do anything. At the very most, you'll just have to unsubscribe and subscribe again. But we will let you know if we're experiencing any problems. The best way to find out what's going on is to follow me at Spanners Ready or the show at Missed Apex F1. The only reason you'd have to get the Acast app is if you want any of our premium content. This week, I am joined by Paddock Talisman, Joe Raging Bull Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Well, uh, after what an intro, what can I say? I was listening to a media um, advisor chap today who said that you have three seconds to capture the attention of the viewers. Well, we've lost it. That's it. <laughs> oh, these well, these mugs are used to me. They're fine. No, no, no. We have to get the uh, we have to get the people with zero attention spans, and they have three seconds. That's all you have. So, all right. Well, in that case, let's grip them quickly by talking about your evening with a mutual friend of ours. You have the fantastic Mister Carter alongside you in Montreal, as you did one of your famous audiences with Joe Sayward. I did, and we had a lovely time, Matthew and I. We even drank some wine together while talking to the audience and it was jolly fun i had a lovely time he's a lovely fella uh, and it was just a pure serendipity because of course he lives over that way um and uh, he came up and he said can i come to your party tonight and i said absolutely do come along i might even drag you up on stage so he happily came up on stage and we had a jolly time so ah 
Um, and I think everyone who listened had a jolly time too, but you, know, you can't be quite sure. But nobody complained or threw anything at us or, or abused us or walked out even. I did have one walk out once, a man in Canada who drunk rather a lot, who got very upset when I referred to where the team principals sit in the pit lane as the Pratt perch. And he departed going, that is disgusting, blah, 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 and left. So. Well, people people can be offended if they want. You, you don't have to care that they're well, offended. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't offensive. I was merely explaining what it's called. It's not what I call it, necessarily. And... Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, I was merely saying this is what it's, it's a bit like putting female bottoms into uh, magazines, you know, they're there, you can't avoid it. Sorry, I'm just merely reflecting what is happening at the event. Missed Apex podcast would like to distance itself from the photographing of any bottoms in any publication ever. I will put male bottoms in if that's what you prefer. But bottoms exist and bottoms have to be published occasionally. Everyone likes a lovely bottom, Joe. Uh, it's nice to see that Matthew Carter took on the, the Sayward method of audience engagement there with several bottles of wine. That's great news. Right, no, he, he just sort of helped me along, really, you know. Um, but no, I was very restrained. I, I was positively, um, positively, um, whatever the word is, teetotal. Well, not quite. Two total, anyway. A total of two. I imagine that's going to be in the region of a lie. But the Canadian Grand Prix, is that a particularly nice one to be at? I just get that feeling that there's this really good atmosphere and buzz. And I'll tell you what, speaking to Matthew Carter in the weeks leading up to the Canadian Grand Prix, I was so close to impulse jumping on a plane and getting there. And that is that is probably top of my list for Grand Prix to attend. I mean, it's a very nice town if you get to see any of it. It's a, um, it's a wild town if you're looking for... Uh, wild women just coming into summer and um depends what basic, you consider wild to be honest joe well anyone who's been in in a in a duffel coat for nine months uh which is what happens in montreal because the weather's so bad they spend their entire time dressed up so when the sun comes out they take all their clothes off and run around i mean not that i'm an expert in these matters but um it does seem to be the big weekend for montreal coming out yeah, good. I mean, my idea of a nice wild weekend is, I don't know, somewhere in the Southampton suburbs with a casino and a cinema. That'll do me. Okay, well, it's not quite Montreal. Not but, quite, I mean, right. to, 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 be, to be fair, uh, I don't go out in Montreal. I arrive there. I go from the airport down to the, uh, to the hotel. I have an audience one night. I work on Saturday and Sunday nights. I never actually go out. So it's a bit sad, really. Oh, um, but- which is, everyone else is too busy getting drunk and dancing on tables, but... There am I, working away on jolly old magazines, which is such fun, such joy. To be fair, though, the audience is with Joe, certainly for the audience, feels like a, a night out. Are you planning yeah. one for France yeah. as well? No. 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 I did have one planned for England until this evening when my usual venue has said they can't do it. So I'm looking for a venue in London, um, which is, of course, has to be free because any venue um, – London's got this mad idea that somehow or other – it's more important than elsewhere, so they charge you so much money that you can't do anything. So it's, it's available only for weddings and funerals, and people are willing to pay for such events, but I'm not. So anyone's got a free venue, we can have a party. I'll bring you lots of trade. You can sell lots of booze and some food on Wednesday before the British Grand Prix, but we're sort of running out of time at the moment. So central London, please. The Shed Joe. It's, it's just several hours from London, and it can nearly <laughs> fit two people in it. Sounds like a positively unusual plan. You know, I was up your way the other day, don't you? You were up in near Bedfordshire. What brought you up to this way? I was in Cranfield, and I was watching um, 
what's his name, Christian Horner, becoming Dr. Christian Horner and wearing a very silly hat. I saw that. So does he now get to call himself Doctor legitimately? Well, he can if he wants to, but he's not really legitimate. He is a legitimate doctor because he's got an honorary degree. Did he earn an honorary degree? Yes, honorary degrees are given to people who apparently earn them. So um, <clears throat> somebody did write on my blog, I think it was, uh, what's his thesis on? But I think his thesis was on making loads of money and winning world championships. So No, I think his, his thesis was on stopping being silly. Uh, but... Well, he shouldn't have turned up because he looked rather silly in all the medieval gear they were wearing. However, he had a nice time and he brought the family along and they all had a lovely time. And it was a nice, it was a very nice event. But I had to rush off immediately afterwards, so I didn't come and visit the shed. Speaking of uh, lovely events coming up, Silverstone is close um, and I'm planning on taking the boy to Silverstone on the Friday, I think. Um, definitely one of the more expensive Grand Prix on on the calendar even though it's right on my doorstep it's it's about 45 minutes away from me but you know to go to the friday practice the two of us to go there park up uh, and watch the cars going round it is over 100 quid it's it's not unaffordable but it's not nothing oh you should try renting a hotel in montreal or monte carlo or melbourne come to that that would that would set your eyes a watering yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure it would, but I think I think the appeal of going on the Friday to Silverstone is you can get in all the grandstands and see it from everywhere and uh, bring his little bike along. Because uh, I remember I tried to go there general admission um, on a Grand Prix. I think it was in when was the year that all the tires were blowing up? Was that 2013? Yeah, I think it, I think it was. I think it was Hamilton's first Mercedes season. And I suddenly realised when we got to the general admission, as soon as the race started, everybody either stood up or perched up suddenly couldn't see anything so on the parade lap i had to rush around trying to find a grand prix ticket uh, uh, uh sorry uh what do you call it a, a stand ticket in the village section uh and i had to sort of splash out 90 quid otherwise i just wasn't going to see the race at all well yeah that is one of the joys of general admission i, I mean i don't know how you fix that apart from having bigger hillsides um where you, everyone can see things but you know to be honest it's a bit disgraceful really um, that you can't see anything if you've paid all that money. Yeah, and I, and I, I think just for me over that weekend it was about three hundred and fifty, four hundred quid before you talked about parking and sustaining yourself and stuff. So, um, you know, there were stories about them offering finance packages and people paying out all year for their trip to Silverstone. I'm not saying it's not amazing, but when you've got family life and lots of other commitments, it's certainly something you've got to think about. Uh, let, let's talk about race quality for a second, though, because certainly people weren't thrilled about the racing at the Canadian Grand Prix. I know you were quite um, defensive about the Monaco Grand Prix when people were saying that was boring. Did you get the same feeling with the Montreal Grand Prix, like people were just not getting it? Um, not so much, because uh, Monaco was exciting all the way because as long as you knew that Ricardo had a problem. Now, if you didn't know that, I can see why people would say, okay, it's not very exciting. But if you knew Ricardo had a problem, then it was tense all the way. Canada, um, it wasn't as tense. It was unusual, actually, because Canada is usually a good race. But again, you know, the choice of tyres and the temperature, Pirelli have to make tyre decisions months in advance. Yeah. They don't know the weather. They only guess at the weather. Um and they get it wrong sometimes. Now, that's daft, but what is a better option? And that's one of the big problems. I, I thought the you know the most entertaining thing in Canada was probably the fact that someone waved the flag on the wrong lap, um, which you can't blame the lady in question because some no. idiot told her to wave it. But, you know, um, 
it was just a bit sort of we all looked at each other and went oh they just waved the, they just waved the flag on the wrong lap do you remember the last time that happened and somebody said well it was pele ending and you know all the sort of usual conversations of silly old farts in the press room. Well, that, that shouldn't... Well, the press, the press tent. The press me. tent. Oh, yes, I, I caught your blog where you were not particularly happy with the facilities. I mean, is it is it... Um, when you say tent, I'm imagining some, you know, green 12 by 12. I'm thinking, oh, poor Joe. Well, it, no, no, it is it is a tent. Um, and it's a tent... When, when it rains and is windy, it gets very exciting in there. But no, <laughs> they're getting rid of it this year because they're building a new thing. No, I was getting I was getting um, annoyed because press offices um, they should know better than making noise at the wrong points, and it was the actual organisers people who were doing it, and you know that's just silly. It means they're a bunch of amateurs, frankly. Because you're trying um, to work. Yeah, of course we're trying to work, and you know if they're running a press office, they should know when we're trying to work. But the problem with temporary circuits is that they don't do a lot of they do one thing a year, so they don't necessarily know these things. But um, actually, today we had a meeting, the first meeting of the FIA uh, press working group, um, which took all day. And uh, you were there? Long... Of course, yes. Ooh. I'm a member of it. What's the aim of uh, that working group? And, you know, it's great. It's to, so they're involving. It's to, deal, it's to deal with questions that the media have of how they can do a better job and blah, blah, blah. blah. And oh. it's, uh, it's been reconstituted. It got killed a few years ago. Um, which was a daft thing to do, but they did it anyway. And so it's been reconstituted. And today was the first meeting in Paris. And there were, I think, 17 international media around. And we sat there and we told the FIA about the various problems and drawbacks and good things and bad things and what needs to be done to help to keep the press alive because written press is dying out because, as I said, the attention span of the world is now two seconds. Um, and they can't deal with more than 10 words. You know, they have to do, basically, you want a video with no words, and you have to be grabbed in two seconds. That's the future, so they say. So um, if that's the case, I think possibly, we all sort of look so we're going to hang ourselves after hearing this <laughs> specialist tell everything about the future of media. But no, the conversation was really interesting, actually, because one of the questions is, what is media? nowadays and the other one is who defines what is media so it's you've got things pesky things like the people who write the articles in their bedrooms and then you've got the guys who try and talk about it in their sheds and broadcast it no no no. the the one good thing actually that was very positive about podcasting podcasting is the future well they're releasing their own one that's why so well maybe no no but this isn't them this is the fi this was an independent consultant talking about media stuff so but um what was very interesting about it is that um, how do you define media nowadays? And, you know, Formula One media is the bedroom person with the thick wrists, somebody who is going to be uh, deemed as being media. And the answer is, well, you can deem them to be, but um, they're not, not really. Uh, because otherwise, you know, is Kim Kardashian Formula One media if she wants to turn up? But is, a, is a social influencer media? Well, there's clearly a an audience no, no. for you know outlets like WTF well, One and even Miss Apex. It, is there? I mean, the point is, so Formula One is bringing in social influencers who are who have blogs, you know, blogs, whatever, Snapchats or all those other things, um, and they have you know lots and lots of people watching them. 
is the social influencer who deals with handbags and lipsticks going to pull in a lot of people to Formula One in the future? The answer is probably not, because they might write, it's really cool to be here as a guest of Formula One. But does that mean all 13-year-old girls across Namibia and other such places are going to rush to become Formula One fans? Well, I suppose if you rotate them, I mean, having Justin Bieber supporting Lewis Hamilton at Monaco a couple of years back and people like that would help Pharrell Williams and stuff like that surely they turn some heads to F1 yeah of course but what I'm saying is you've got to make the right choice of social influencer but is that no matter what the choice is is that a Formula One media it's an interesting question yes very much so so basically was the whole meeting just you taking them to task on tent based facilities was it no 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 it was it was a very very long <laughs> and lots of different discussions from different people uh, it's it's interesting um, to hear that the 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 authorities really do consider this kind of stuff and they lean on the most experienced journalists to to kind of farm this information from that's fascinating well i don't think they had a very good mix of journalists actually and i think it's very important because having guys who've been around for a long time is not necessarily the answer because having some youngsters in as well um, gives another view, uh, which I think is very important because, you know, we've been working on the same systems. We believe in books and, and whoops, uh, we believe in, in, uh, in books and uh, long articles and things that apparently no one under the age of 25 can actually manage more than 12 words at a time. Now, this is um, something which is for us just un- it's impossible to comprehend, but younger people do understand. So having a good mix and also from all kinds of racing, we had some WRC people. We had some WEC people. I think they were the ones who were half asleep after Le Mans, but that's another story. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yes. Um, and you know, there were there was even rallycross person. Um, so it was good. It was a good mixture of people. It was a very interesting um, day, to be honest. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So. Um- the Dachoma there in the chat room saying, well, you need people like Lewis Hamilton to get these people in because Vettel certainly isn't going to bring in the stars. Uh, Kedanath says the social media influencers is a bit of an overhype. You need to see the video of Amanda Cerny, the influencer, attending a GP from Hamilton's garage. They had no clue what was going on. Um, did they discuss the effect that the drivers have? Because I think we've seen more of them in recent years, but we've still got, you know, Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen who, who give away nothing. Whereas you've got, you know, people like Grosjean and Magnussen, who are a lot of fun in front of camera. People like Lewis Hamilton, who are massive on social media. There was a there was a, a discussion about uh, the fact that I don't think you can change it with the current generation. It has to be looked at in the future. But the fact that drivers don't understand that more than half their job is to actually communicate. Uh, most of them think that they only have to drive racing cars and communicate with engineers or ice cream vans. And, you know, they don't think that they think that dealing with the media is a pain in the neck. Now, if you compare that to what happens in America, American racing drivers will sit there all day, talk to the fans, sign autographs, talk to the journalists and just be professional. And Formula One drivers are not, frankly, they're not professional uh, in in that respect um, because they don't do what sportsmen are supposed to do because they're very wealthy and they don't give a toss and they don't care. And nobody tells them they have to do it now. We have to change that, but it'd be really great if one or two of them actually did it because they understand what it's all about, as opposed to being selfish, spoiled people. Well, that's true. That they aren't. They aren't all like that, but certainly in general, the majority. Yeah, of the majority. Them are. Yeah, no. 
I, I think I think I could agree with that. But F1 itself has been making more strides to make the drivers slightly more human, if you like. Things like Grill the Grid, where they play mm-hmm. those kind of quiz games, go down very, very well. Um, I think there were some failed ones no, from that's, Sky. That's because, they, that's because they show themselves to be human beings, because they are having fun. Now, what they have to do is have fun all the time. Now, it may be boring to be asked the same question 23 times, but it's part of the job. And also, there's an organization thing. Well, why, why ask them the same question 23 times if it can be done once? You know, it's just a matter of how you organize it. But there's all kinds of things that need to be tweaked. And, and that's what it was all about, really, today. It's just tweaking. Um, uh, fundamentally, I think everybody who's involved in Formula One, perhaps those outside, are willing to be less constructive about it. But those involved in Formula One are generally positive because the sport is a good thing. It's exciting to watch, even if the racing's not, you know, it's not bumper cars, but it, it, it's pretty much always a good story and, 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 and there's something happening. Um, those who've never experienced it and sit at home and say, oh, it's boring, it's dull, fine. But, you know, why on earth are you talking about if it's boring and dull? Go away and talk about something that's not boring and dull. Okay. Now, if you're going to be, no, me, if you're going, if you're going to be a Formula One media person, at least like the sport you're involved in, or even a pretend one sitting in a garage at home, like it. If you don't like it, it go a, and do something. You know, garden gnomes. It, it's a don't, shed, Joe. I'm just saying. Well, I'm not talking about you. Oh, right, okay. I'm talking about in general. <laughs> but if you don't like what you're watching, why on earth are you making a, f- a show about it or writing articles about it? Write about garden gnomes or whatever your passion is. Yeah, and I tell you what, we've been very passionate about. Formula One, even when it's had its dips. I think the reason why it's so jarring at the moment is because we've come from an unnaturalistically for F1 exciting period of racing, sort of from groove tyres all the way through Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen, Massa. And then I think this current set of regulations has suddenly kind of sent us back to the old style of Formula One racing. It hasn't. We've had four good races and two bad ones. Well, Spain... Well, are we classing yeah. Spain as a great race? Are we? Or? I I thought it was I thought it was fascinating all the way through. Now, fascinating. But the thing is, the thing is, it depends how you define interesting. If you have to have crash, bang, wallop, cars flipping over, you know, all that stuff, then you may not find it interesting. But if you're if you're a passionate fan and you understand a little bit more of what's going on. If you have good commentators to tell you what's going on, if you have good TV coverage to show you what's going on, then you can get passionate about it because it's still interesting. And I, you know, we'll have one good race and instantly everyone will be forgotten about all the bad, you know, oh, the bad times of Formula One. It's really dull, the dirty, dirty, dirty. I come from, I come from the West Midlands and it's very dull here. I'd rather look at me garden gnomes. Missed Apex would like to welcome all its listeners from the West Midlands. So what you're telling me, Joe, is that in the paddock, there's no kind of sense of panic of, oh, no, we're losing the audience. Oh, no, uh, we're not getting exciting races and drama. They're okay with what's happening. I mean, even with... Yeah, pretty much, because everybody who's there, with the exception of journalists who are looking for negative stories, mainly national newspapers, um, but everyone who's there understands what's going on, which is a whole bunch of highly professional teams full of very talented people are fighting it out tooth and nail and the fact that they don't produce a show every single time that is gobsmackingly wonderful doesn't mean it's not interesting but we do have a lot we do have a lot of elements this season 
all combine together, don't we? We we have Pirelli kind of missing the briefing a little bit with the tyres. We've got wider cars with more aero. I mean, this field spread, it's not my imagination, is it? The field spread is, is bigger than it's been for a decade. No, it's, no, it's not. No? No. Go look, go look back and look at some of the things that have happened in the past. You see, the thing is, the good old days never existed. <laughs> this, is a, this is a myth. Uh, Nigel Mansell would win races by nearly a lap. Well, that was more than Jim, a decade Jim ago. Jim Clark would win. No, but we're, we're talking about yeah. the history of the sport. Throughout the history of the sport, it's been a regular occurrence where people won by a long way, pulled away and won. The only difference in those days is that they had unreliable cars. So occasionally they'd break down and things would change. And, ooh, isn't that exciting? We've had a change. Nowadays, they're all the cars are all bulletproof unless you crash into each other. Um, and that's a problem in a way. But then again, it's also a sign of professionalism because the cars don't break down in the way they used to. But the levels of competition are higher than they've ever been before. And the results, they're not that, you know, okay, you can say they're a minute behind at the end, but a minute's nothing. If you look back in history, go back, go and look at the results in history and see some of the, just how far they won by. But I think, uh, as I said in the Canadian Grand Prix review with uh, Sean Kelly, actually, Sean Kelly, virtual stat man, was um, that in those days, F1 was competing with Test Match Cricket, which was also very slow, Trans World Sport, Kabaddi no, Championships no, on F1 Channel 4. F1 wasn't competing with anything in those days. F1, it was just sports were there and people watched them if they liked them. This idea that all the sports are competing with one another is a modern idea. Okay, maybe they are. But then again, everyone's competing. You know, I always used to say to my old man, the clergyman, I said, you know, our competition on Sundays is you lot because <laughs> we both go off and do our jobs on Sundays. And he goes and says his prayers and sings his hymns. And, and I go to racetracks and make a lot of noise and upset people singing hymns. Um, you know, but and of course, he's dealing with good and I'm dealing with evil. So it's quite funny. But nonetheless, yeah, the fact is that everyone is competing with everything nowadays, and that is because people have attention sums, attention spans of three seconds. So if you don't grab them in the three seconds you have, I think it's a reflection on mankind more than anything else. Yeah, it's definitely a fact of nature and society. I can't say that I hate it. I mean, I, I sit with my eight-year-old son and I look at the entertainment he's got and I just go, little dude, like, you should have seen the 80s. The 80s sucked. Looking back... Everything was boring. One of our most exciting games was a cricket with like virtual little metal dice where we'd roll the dice several times. It was called How's That? That's what it was called. And you'd roll the dice and it would tell you whether you scored a run or got out. Like, to be fair, the world has moved on. Entertainment has moved on. If F1's going to yeah. survive en masse, I do worry for it. If it's relying on the same things that was making it glorious 30 years ago, that world just doesn't no, but exist it, But anymore. it's not relying on the same things. What it's doing is trying to sell... Uh, some subtlety. It's a bit like cricket. People used to say cricket's really boring. But if you understand cricket and you love cricket, you can sit there for over after over and you can you can extol the virtues of many things. Look at that. Look at that shot. It was a lovely cut. Look at that fielding. Look at that. There's as John Arlett used to say, a famous I have to I have to explain who John Arlett was, but a famous British commentator who would say things like and oh, look over there, as the, bat, as, as the bowler runs into bowl, a flock of geese takes off at square leg. 
And you know, this is this is poetry. This is a different kind of sport. Nowadays, it's all got to be people have got to be hitting themselves over the head with hockey sticks and and you know, sliding on banana skins and whatever, wearing red noses to keep the the people amused. It, it's a different kind of amusement. But for me, it's a little bit um, contrived sometimes. Um, you know, but maybe the film, the film Rollerball from the 1980s is is the reality. You know, it's just it's got to be all action and people getting slain on camera. Of course, I only know the Mark Wahlberg uh, 2003 update Remake, of Rollerball. Yeah, yeah, of uh, Rollerball because I'm desperately young, especially compared to you. Chat room saying yes, Joe, but Thanks. IPL, the Indian Premier League, is not about the art of leaving the ball outside the off stump it's about beating the backside off test cricket i have a lot of sympathy with what you're saying i've watched many many a test match but even, you know but i've sensed myself change from the 80s and you see things that are faster more exciting and that's what you want and I, i've you're correct i've felt my attention span suck in and since netflix became brilliant and a streaming service and the internet i've barely picked up a novel or a book but you, but you know something in 30 years' time, when this generation get old and boring, they won't be able to say, I remember watching Lillian Thompson. They'll be going, <laughs> there was some bloke who drove fast or who, who, who ran a ball in very fast. I only watched for three seconds. I can't remember what he was called. You know, I can't remember anything because I only watched anything for three seconds. I can't remember a book because it was only three seconds long. Uh, all I can remember is just looking at my telephone and crashing into things occasionally because I wasn't looking where I was walking. All right, let's and stop. Fa- and falling into manholes, you know, that sort of thing. God, it is Statler and Waldorf, isn't it? You should bring the other lad along as well. Who is who's your partner in uh, in in whinging crime? I'm not whinging crime. I'm just merely pointing out that the youth of today won't remember anything because they've only got three second attention spans. For the audio listeners, Joe is shaking his fist. Uh, no, he's not. Um, yeah, no, he's not. He is. Look, it's lies. I'll let it I that am now. I'll let it I'm, that. I'm actually going to. I'm going to punch the screen just for fun. So, 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 in your mind, it's saying that you know there isn't really a problem. A lot of people perceive this sort of category now where Mercedes have come in and dominated just through brute force of, of cash and engineering prowess and brilliance and Ferrari as well having that huge financial advantage and nobody else being able to come up. I've been meaning to talk to you for the last few Inside F1s about the reality of a budget cap. We've heard talk of it. They've said it's coming in, but there's no details of it. Is a budget cap actually workable and is it happening? It's workable. Um, it will probably happen. And it should be 150 million in starting in 2021. 150 million dollars. Dollars. Okay, so yeah. So put that in some perspective for the people who aren't following the finances of the teams. How much does say Mercedes spend now? Roughly about twice. About twice that. So I mean, is that going to wash? Are we in real danger of losing a Mercedes and a Ferrari if they can't? No. no? Well, where are they going to go? Don't even. Don't even go there. Formula every every e. other every other championship is a waste of time. Formula E, In- Formula E is brilliant, Joe, and the future. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> As I've explained to you, I think in the past, battery development will take care of Formula E, added to which we have the classic boom-bust syndrome of car manufacturers rushing in and car manufacturers rushing out. Mm-hmm. Formula E was very lucky that the diesel scandal came along um, at the right time and everyone wanted to be green. But in a little while, after Porsche starts to dominate totally, which is what will happen, all the other manufacturers will walk away going, it's not that good because battery development's not that good. And Formula E E takes, yeah, it goes into circuits. It goes into cities. Yeah, great. Formula One's going into cities more too. European in the old chat room there. Chat room's much better populated than I thought it was going to be for an England game. Congratulations to you smart folk 
for tuning into the live stream instead of the City World Cup, um, is asking, European is asking, how will the big teams cheat the cost cap? They won't. They won't for a number of reasons. Tell us, tell us all of them. Okay. First of all, people in Formula One, particularly team principals, should not be the ones who decide whether or not cost caps are pleasable because they all think they're experts in everything, but they're not. The people to talk to are accountants, and accountants will tell you it's all pleasable. Point number two, if you are a publicly listed corporation and you get caught cheating and you get punished very severely, that affects your share price and you don't like it. Look at what happened with Renault in 2009. They had to leave the sport in shame and disgustingness because they'd been caught at it. So they don't want to get caught, so they start pleasing themselves. In addition to that, the people who will will be responsible for cheating will be held personally responsible, not just the team. This is going to be written into the rules if they are agreed. As to the amount of money involved, you can run a racing team very simply for 150 million. And if those teams were smart, they'd work out that you'd make the rest of the money as profit. Or if you want to spend your money, you put it into a second brand, i.e. what Ferrari will probably do is they will put half of their staff into Alfa Romeo clothing and bingo bango. There'll be a second team and you get, guess what? You get two brands for the price of one. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. So do you think, then, that this would encourage smaller teams to come in? For example... What does Force India spend on an F1 season? About 100 and 
20 million. So they're right there on the cusp. So, you know, the no, teams... No, no, basically there's only three or four teams that are affected by a budget cap. Everyone else is below it. So it's just hobbling those top three teams then. How's that going to wash? Well, they've had it too good for too right. long. Half the reason <laughs> that all these teams have gone out of business is the big teams have taken all the money in league with Bernie Eccleston, giving them special deals on bonus this and bonus that. They've had it far too good. And that's why they're trying to protect their positions. But do not forget that all the teams have gone out of business in the last five years is largely because all the money has been taken by the big teams. That's not right. Joe, let's talk about Red Bull, one of the three teams that we have said is going to be uh, affected by this cost cap. Now then, missed Apex podcast. Go on they then, won't Joe. Be. They won't they be. Won't be. That. No, because if you put together the additional revenue that Red Bull Racing will get, sorry, Red Bull will get, Red Bull Racing will get, and Toro Rosso will get, you add them together and take away the extra money that Red Bull has, and it's just about the same. I believe the difference is about $8 million, and that is, you know, that is acceptable for them. So they're, they're happy to accept a loss of $8 million over two teams on the basis that it'll probably grow in the future. Because added to which, they might get a decent engine deal. So Now then, speaking of engine deals, Missed Apex podcast understands that the yes, Red Bull yeah, that, Honda... What was all that about? What the, was all that we, about? We understand, from our best understanding, Joe, we understand that the Red Bull Honda deal has been done and dusted. There was a caveat you for... Need, you need to go back and have a chat with your source and say, who the hell are you and what on earth are you gibbering about? Because it's not done. Deal not done, says Joe Sayward. So where do you think no. they're at at their negotiations? There, a deal will be done, or discussed at least, in the week before Austria, and they'll probably make an announcement in Austria. However, Renault has not given up on them yet. And the last I heard, Renault was offering to let them badge the engines as Aston Martin. And think about that for a minute, because that's really quite astonishing. But if they're willing to do that, that means they want to keep hold of them. The, the implications of uh, Red Bull not going with Honda, I think Renault would be doing that to try to stop a, a top team getting hold of Honda. Because you know, Honda is not going to go backwards. They can't go backwards because they were already in a fairly big mess. So the chances are they're going to go forwards. And therefore, they will challenge Renault, who is the weakest of the three. Well, so what we're understanding, which obviously Joe is rubbishing, but we are we're understanding that, that Honda is showing the same power as Renault at the moment. Uh, and that's what they were looking for in that upgrade. And that Red Bull are quite pleased with the performance they're seeing from Honda. I'm not saying any of that's not true. But I'm just saying it hasn't been done yet. A decision has to be made, and it's a strategic decision. It's not just about how they'll do this next year. It's about the next two years and for 2021 as well. There's lots of other elements to it. You know, if you get an Aston Martin deal for two years as a badged Renault, and then Aston Martin comes in because they've got rules they like and can afford, then it makes sense. No. If, on the other hand, you go with Renault, you've got two years of Renault, and then you have a new Renault engine for the new rules, you have a manufacturer behind you who's much bigger than Aston Martin. So that makes sense. So they have to make a decision, but I don't believe the decision is made. Fair enough, and Joe. I, and, I, and I think, and I thought that I, I raised an eyebrow, a wizened eyebrow, went, in a sort of creaky noise when I saw that on your, on your um, whichever I saw it on. And <gasps> you I thought, read our Twitter oh. feed, Joe. And what? You read our Twitter feed. I guess I must do. <laughs> I don't know. I just I read lots of things, but you know I'm not always aware of what I'm reading. No, that's um, fine. And I and I said to people, absolutely, um, 
treat what we say with um, skepticism. Uh, however, we won't, from our point of view, we won't tell you something unless that is genuinely what we understand. However, that's not to say that we're right or wrong. However, hopefully over time, you know, we all build these reputations. If not a reputation for being right, we can build a reputation for being earnest and we're not just saying things just to grab your attention you know, that, and just but to that's away. exactly what yeah. i've been doing yeah. for many many years and and you know i just happen to disagree with you on this particular issue absolutely and, fair enough and, and if you're right fair enough good for you i just don't think you are fair enough and tell you where you are right a lot and that is gp plus magazine how's that going this year oh, it's going all right but of course everyone's got a tension span of a gnat so obviously you know it doesn't it doesn't sell as well as it should do um, because it's a quality quality magazine, and uh, it's frustrating sometimes that uh, that more people don't buy it. But anyway, we have we have a, a decent number, but we we can always have more. And we like you know we want people to share the passion. Uh, the catch line of Grand Prix Plus is it's all about the passion, um, and we just want more people who are passionate. And those who sign up and get it love it. So there we go. It's it's strange because, I mean, you not strange, but it's a traditional model you've gone for. Apart from the fact that it's available in PDF and over the internet and can be used on modern devices, it's very much a, you give us the money for this publication. Whereas motorsport, for example, you can spend a lot of money per month going down the freemium model where they give you lots of things for free and then you go to click on something and you go, ah, actually, this is one of the ones that isn't free. This is one of the ones you only get if you subscribe. Whereas GP Plus, it's it's £30, is it, for the whole season? Uh, less. Less than that. Is it less? No, it's more. Ah, whatever. <laughs> it's 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 in that area, thirty something. But what yeah. I mean is, you're not sucking anybody in for any more. It is here's the price. No, no, you no, pay no. us you this, get, and you get it all season. That's what you get. You get you get what you pay for. And the other thing is that going to a subscription model on the internet just doesn't work. You get one percent of your people who are. This is what you get. This is a fairly established number. In fact, you usually get less than one percent of people who go to visit and then people who are willing to sign up and pay for it. Now you have to have a very, very big amount of, of um, traffic to make it worthwhile to do that. So I always look at it as a sign of desperation when people do that. Fair enough. But you don't just have GP plus magazine on offer, Joe. Thank you very much. In the post, I received these two bad boys, fascinating facts, fascinating F1 facts, volume one and two, and I've been reading them, and, and they are fascinating. They are actually genuinely really interesting. Awful lot of French uh, pronunciations in there, though, Joe. Well, motor racing started in France, and, and you know a lot of stories are French, simply because I'm a European kind of person. And a lot of the British stories of Formula One have been told. So I've been telling some of the other stories, Italian, French, German, whatever. I tell British stories as well, but it just, you know... My aim is to fascinate, and if I'm fascinating, well, I'm very happy about it. And it's tell 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 the readers: is it not? Is it not the best Lou and/or uh, uh, coffee table book or book beach? Book? When you first you get- announced that you were putting this blog into a book, I said to you it was a Lou book, and you were terribly offended. Uh, but yes, it does fit that bill very well. Uh, the stories are fascinating, and you've got a special offer on at the moment. Yes, I do. It's for the holidays. So sign up now. It costs only uh, not much. Nineteen ninety nine for the two, I think. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. For, for a limited period of time, which I've not decided how long it's going to be limited for, but then it goes up to much more expensive again. So if you don't buy now, you're a schmuck. 
Get in there now. Fascinating facts. Um, right, Joe. Um, here's a fascinating thing you told me a while ago, which was that, as from a publicity point of view, where would a team? I think it was when we were talking about Ferrari, and you said to me basically, where would Ferrari go? In F1, it's great advertising. If they go to Le Mans, that's fine. But the winner of Le Mans has to be uh, announced. They have to they have to tell the media who won the race. That's not the case this season. I'm not someone who follows endurance racing. However, with a Formula One driver but there, in but there. There's one, there's one word that sums up this year, which makes it different to every other year. And that word is Alonso. Yes. Now, they have, they have very cleverly, they've used Alonso as an ambition to achieve whatever. And they are using his fame and fortune to attract attention to their championship. Now, that's all very well. But having said that, what they had on offer, 24 hours of Le Mans, with a dead set, definite conclusion, unless Toyota messed it up, is hardly great advertising. Well, well hang so on a minute. Mess, they got, messed they, it they, up. They, they got, well, Toyota had a habit of screwing up you know, Le Mans and not winning it. Well, doesn't that when just they, show what a challenge 24-hour endurance racing is? And, and that's not what really. Toyota... Did you, did you watch the race yesterday and the day before yesterday yeah. and the day before that, probably? It seemed to go on long enough. Uh, just two Toyotas running at the front, really. That was it. All night, all day, all night, all day. But in Le Mans, first you beat the track, then you beat the race, then you beat your competitors. Yeah, and, and you think that Alonso being there really added to their audience for the future. I just think it was actually it was it was a, an own goal, I think. So well, in that people were attracted because of Alonso and then they were greeted with something that wasn't an actual real competition at the front of the grid. Well, yeah, it wasn't. It was two Toyotas cruising around and they finished two laps apart. You know, nobody else. The next, the third place man, but man, men, the third place car was 11 laps down. 11 laps round Le Mans is, you know, that's like driving to Brighton and back, you know. It's, it's, it's a long way. Well, it's not quite that long, but it is. <laughs> it's a long racing circuit. So do you put any value on this triple crown that Fernando Alonso is chasing. I mean, sure, it shows that you've, um, you, you're a driver who can win in a variety of series. It's certainly good for those other series to see F1 drivers doing it, but you have but to... Is th- it? Hang on, is it? Yes, it is in terms of the numbers for one year. It looks good because people are tuning in. There's a bunch of Spaniards tuning to see if Fernando Alonso can win the Indianapolis 500. And he didn't win. But he nearly won. But then if you stop and think about it, that says to you, look at that. Last year, Alexander Rossi arrived from Formula One and won it first time. Alonso turns up, does one race, nearly wins it. What's the value of that to IndyCar? That says to me that IndyCar is a weak championship. If, If Formula One drivers can turn up and do that, what is it that they're gaining? So that you gain one year's worth of viewership. But I think you do yourself more damage because... It basically means that lots of people can turn up and do well. So, for example, in Le Mans yesterday, I didn't catch much of it, but in fact, I was just following fake Charlie Whiting's feed and seeing when there was uh, anything worth tuning in for. Um, at one point, Alonso was clawing back three seconds, four seconds, five seconds off of Lopez, and I, was, I asked Bradley Philpot this morning. I said, "Why was that?" And he said, "Just it's just." you know, was the difference in ability uh, and because Fernando Alonso is a force of nature in a racing car. But Lopez is a three-time touring car champion. He's a Formula E driver. And I think, I think you're right. It's, it might be doing a bit of damage showing off their stars to be, you know, off the pace of the F1 guys, perhaps. Well, show me an example 
in the modern era of a driver from another championship other than the junior formulae coming in and winning. You have to go back to to Jacques Villeneuve and to Juan Pablo Montoya, which is, you know, it's heading towards 20 years when people came in and were able to be competitive in Formula One. Now, I tend to think that you know, if you put a uh, look at look at poor old Brendan Hartley, he's come in, he's doing OK. I think Brendan's doing a decent job. Um, but, you know, are people talking about him as a future world champion? No, they're not. They're talking about whether he's going to get replaced, which may not be right nor may be fair. But that's what happened, you know. So if you bring somebody in from one of these other championships, generally speaking, they don't rise immediately to the top. Whereas a Formula One driver will go in, a good Formula One driver will go in somewhere else. Hulkenberg wins Le Mans. You know, uh, Alonso nearly wins the 500. Alonso wins Le Mans, you know. And next year, I, I think the interesting thing about Le Mans this year is it's probably the end of Fernando's Formula One career. Um, because now he's only got one thing to achieve for the nebulous Triple Crown. Well, it's uh, it's interesting for this triple crown. I mean, in certainly in the current motorsport climate, you have to be a Formula One driver to go for that because you're not going to get someone from Indy or or WEC just popping in for the weekend to win Monaco, for example. And if Alonso was fighting for a third world championship, he certainly wouldn't be on this this side no. quest, uh, as no, it he were. Would. Um, okay, I think that's uh, quite enough of that non-F1 sport. It's got roofs on and everything, and F1 doesn't have roofs <laughs> yet well, for the next well, We do have those rather nasty things on top, but there we are. I, are you still objecting to the halo? Are you still finding it giant? I'm completely over it. Uh, I still don't like it. Fair enough. No, I mean, that's completely personal preference. To me, I think once the um, the over-the-shoulder type stuff came in, uh, you know, what's that? Not the hands device. Once that came in as well, and they started getting tucked in, and there was really nothing from the helmet, then it was straight to the car chassis. At that point, I think I'd kind of given up, and it, it doesn't really matter from then on uh, whether they put a roof on it. You're going to get the onboards with the steering wheels. I think I'm just resigned to it, perhaps. Um, but then I've not been watching it for as many years as you. Um, but you touched on... That wasn't an insult, by the way. That wasn't a dig. You're a veteran. It wasn't taken as an insult or a dig, either. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on Hartley there. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about, because big rumours about... Um, I don't think it's a rumour. Lando Norris was approached by Toro Rosso to replace him. But my first question is... Well, Hang on a minute. Was he? Well, I, I read it. I read it on a reputable know. blog, Joe. Yes, I know, but perhaps it was the other way around. Perhaps McLaren approached Toro Rosso saying, "We need to train up our driver because we're going to lose Fernando Alonso, so we need to have our reserve driver ready." And therefore, by the way, our man might be able to get more points in the bag by the end of than your man in there. What oh, do you think? Hello, I like I like that little snippet of a rumor. So then. Toro well, Rosso. I'm just saying, there are always two sides to every argument. Toro Rosso might not have been going shopping. McLaren might have been going shopping. So Toro Rosso, then, that might explain why they've come back and gone, yeah, all right, he is good. He is a bit handy, that Lando fella, but we'll have him for 2019 as well. That may well be. But that's also a brush-off, isn't it? Because they know damn well that McLaren <laughs> wants him for 2019. So, um, you know, there's lots of games being played. That, but if you're in McLaren's point of view... What are you going to do? Let's say a, a Fernando signs for Michael Andretti, which I think will happen. Whoa. Okay, we'll um, put a pin in that. Yeah, go on. With sponsorship from Sprint, the telecommunications company. Um, if that were to happen, what are McLaren going to do? They have Lando Norris, who is nearly ready, but not quite, in Formula 2, doing a good job, but pretty inconsistent. 
you've got the old lags in Formula One. You can sort of revive them. You could bring back Perez or you could whatever, you know. But but is that what you want for your long-term future? Do you want to do that or do you just want to take another year and say, look, we're not going to win it next year because um, we've got Renault engines and we're second in line to the throne? Um, why not just get Lando in to train him up alongside Stoffel? But let's get Lando as many miles as we can before the start of next year, racing miles to give him a bit of a push. So that kind of makes more sense to me. So are you are you talking about Andretti in F1? No, no. Well, that's another question. But Andretti in Indy cars is a definite, you know, they have a team. They're, they're talking about putting Alonso in there. And that is... Uh, I'd say it was pretty much a slam dunk, really, now that he's won Le Mans. Is Andretti looking at Formula 1? Yes, he is. Of course he is, because he came to Montreal, and he didn't just have meetings with Alonso. He also had meetings with uh, Liberty Media and Force India, oddly enough. And basically, it's very simple. They want an American team. Andretti's the best brand, possibly. Possibly it's an interesting argument whether uh, Penske's a better brand. But Michael is always a, a sort of guy who's more willing to do things if you can see a buck in it. Penske's much more conservative and has been in Formula One before, you know, a long time ago. But Michael has a Michael also has unfinished business in Formula One. Remember he came to Formula One as a driver and uh left not looking as good as he was. He was a very good driver. And you know, in his mind there is unfinished business to be done. So I could see that happening, but that depends on the regulations. It depends on the budget cap, and it depends on the flight path to the budget cap, the flight path being the amount of time it takes before we arrive. In other words, if you can budget where you're going, if you can budget $150 million a year, who's to say that, for example, Chevrolet wouldn't come into Formula One because it's not expensive? $150 million to a car company is like changing the windscreen wipers. So – you know, why would you not, if you have that kind of a budget and you know that's what it's going to cost you, why wouldn't a lot more car manufacturers come in and do it? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I'd love to see so, that. 26-car grid again, Joe. You can have that. You can have 26-car grids. You can have a whole string of different car manufacturers, including American ones. So there's lots of things that can be done. It's just a matter of getting everything boiled down and done and dusted and locked away. And that's the key thing now. The technical rules seem to be locked away, done and dusted. They need to get the commercial ones done really quickly. Speaking of commercial deals then, a team that has, seems to struggle and has a suspiciously blank car is McLaren. Martin Whitmarsh is uh, being spotted in the paddock of, of late. And we're hearing rumours from national newspapers that I'm not inclined to name that, that Whitmarsh is being called for from the uh, workshop floor of McLaren to come in and rescue them. I think last time we talked about it, you thought it was a non a non starter. Have you moved on that at all, Joe? No, no, non starter. No Whitmarsh at McLaren. Well, how did McLaren get in the mess they're in now? Well, see, we had this uh, conversation yesterday, and I think Matt Trumpets very passionately was defending Martin Whitmarsh and saying it wasn't his fault for the downfall of uh, McLaren. Are you putting it at Whitmarsh's feet then? No. You, are you somebody... clicking a pen, Joe? Yes, I am. Somebody, somebody who, um, uh, somebody organised the idea of matrix management, which means nobody takes the blame. 
And that, for me, is the fundamental problem at McLaren and has been for years, because somebody has to take the blame. When things go wrong, somebody has to square up their shoulders and go, yes, it's me. And one of the problems McLaren has is the fact that with matrix management, you never needed to do that. That was me again. Yes. And so I think that Martin has to take some of the blame for that because every racing team I know has never won anything with matrix management. I, I hate all those management tools. Wasn't there a Cambridge study that said the most efficient way to pick a manager would be to, to sack every manager in their post? Or basically everyone gets promoted until a point that they're too incompetent to get promoted any further. And that's the position that's they sit the in. Pe- that's called the Peter Principle. <laughs> I love it. And, and the Peter Principle is that everyone gets promoted to a level of their own incompetence. And then the company stays in that position. Um, and that's, you know, that's actually a very sound argument. That explains Eric Boulier then. That's an unkind thing. I think Eric Boulier's problem is the fact that Eric Boulier hasn't been able to do what he wants to do because his hands are tied by having 23 different people telling him what he should and shouldn't do. So if you let a racer, which Eric is a racer, if you let racer do his job properly, he would have cleaned out a whole bunch of people, got a, a management structure in place, got people he believed in and built a team. And that's the other very important thing that people forget, which is you can hire all the clever people in the world, but if they don't work together, it's a rubbish team. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, uh, how Eric Boulier, he, he sometimes comes across as muddled or he's delivering a message that, that doesn't seem to make any sense to the guys that are watching. So do you feel that this is because he's having to kind of be the front man for a system he's not in control of? That's a, a very interesting perspective. Yes, I really do, because I think that Eric, if left to his own devices, would actually be able to do things. But he's he has to answer to, you know, there's there's two... Two board directors, there's a chief executive officer, chief operating officer, or this and or that, and this, you know, and he's just trying to balance everything. And he, when people ask him questions, I think he, he sort of wants to answer with the answer he has, but he knows he has to answer with a corporate answer. Interesting. And therefore, he looks uncomfortable because uh, I think that's the I, word. Always, yes, uncomfortable. That's I've always yeah. found Eric to be a very uh, uh, clever and uh, passionate and sensible bloke and 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 it's it pains me actually to see him in a situation like that because he can't do what he wants to do or at least he's trying to he's arguing with people and saying we've got to do it this way and i'm absolutely with him on that because i think mclaren's problem is that they're focusing on too many different things like why you know you can't go focusing on the indianapolis 500 going sports car racing winning formula one and building road cars you've got to do one thing at a time Either that or you have to have completely different and separate organizations dealing with everything. And they haven't. So get it right. Get the focus right and the rest will follow. But not until you do. I can always tell when you're passionate about something because that's when you're thumping the desk with every syllable of your point. I love that passion, Joe. Got a, a question from the chat room. 3D Quick. Is Fred Vassar doing a good job at Sauber? I have no idea. Yeah, because... I mean, who's making the decisions at Sauber? What is the ultimate future of Sauber? Is Fred involved in it on a day-to-day basis? Are other people doing it? We don't really know very much about it because um, what we do know is they changed their technical director, which was probably a good idea. They'll get a new one. Um, They are making some technical progress. There's no question about that. The car's better because they have some very good engineers there. Um, but I don't think they necessarily had very good leadership in engineering terms at the start of the season. Now, is that 
because of Fred? Is that because the previous technical director got himself in a pickle? Uh, is it because there's more money coming in from Alfa Romeo? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? We don't know. So is he doing a good job? I don't know. Fair enough. Joe, should we end on a complete bummer? I don't know. Whatever a bummer is, yes, go on. Well, I think I think all Brits are to some extent Williams fans. Yes, they should be. But I, I, I certainly am. You know, Nigel Mansell was my first F1 hero. Does Lance Stroll want to be in F1 anymore? Because we're hearing reports that he's bored. He is coming across on the radio as less of the kind of likable, enthusiastic youth of last season, seeming increasingly frustrated. But you're pulling a face to me now that is like, um, um, that, that, that makes it me feel like I'm going mad. However, I'll tell you that this is kind no, of no, you our, are our... going mad because you started out as a spiel about English people, then launched into Lance Stone. I think he's lost his marbles here. No, no, no. Well, Williams, we are all as Brits, Williams fans in the days where F1 fans used to be able to support uh, their their nation's teams and drivers without being called names. Um, but Lance Stroll, at the moment, he just doesn't seem like he's in a happy place. That is the impression that you know our shed dwellers are getting. I'd agree with that, but then no, no racing driver is in a happy place when they're <laughs> at the back of the grid. No. So, uh, can you can we say that he's lost his motivation? Bloody bloody blah. No, not really. Um, do I question whether he's an absolutely top line driver? Yes, I do. But does that mean he's not motivated anymore? It's a very hard one. Williams have got lots and lots of problems they have to solve, but the fundamental problem, and again, it's the same thing is McLaren, which is the first thing to do is get the car right. So they need to <clears throat> they need to uh, sort out the technical problems and get the car fixed. And once you have the car, I mean, they've got a Mercedes engine, for God's sake. What are they doing at the back of the grid? That is not right. Um, and that is that is somebody takes the blame for that. Now, at the moment, they've got rid of they've got rid of their chief designer and their chief aerodynamicist. So. Uh, if they don't get it right next, who's going to take the bullet next time? Well, okay, I'm. I know you know all these people, so you know. Forgive my sofa fanboy criticism, but from my point of view, what's hurting me is hearing Claire Williams coming out and saying things th- that just don't seem to make sense to the the common fan. Like she's saying, Lance Stroll has done enough to earn his 2019 seat. Which is something we've not seen. She came no, no, out. He, he has he has done enough to earn his twenty nine seat. It's in the form of a check. No, I understand that, but that hurts. But but then she's come out and she's she described the incident between uh, Hartley and Stroll as Hartley hitting Stroll. It, she, at the moment, she just seems like her own Sean Spicer, and and I, I hate it. I hate seeing it this way when it's it's so obviously at odds with how we feel. And then Claire Williams, someone who we've come to love in F one. Just it's just coming out and saying things with a completely different motivation. It just seems odd, and it, I, I want I want to make Williams great again. Don't we all? I mean, I'm one of Williams's biggest fans, or have been over a period of many years. But the answer is, we don't have the answer we need. The answer is, we need another answer. Now you can read that as you like, but. The fact is that, as I've said many times, a successful racing team is based on its leadership. Full stop. Understood, Joe. Joe, you are the head of your brilliant freelancing journalistic organisation. Where can people find you online? Get hold of your online magazine, your newsletter that you do with insider business scoops, your books, fascinating F1 facts, uh, as, as well as F1 saboteur, a million things in paper 
to read and buy from Joe Saywood, where should people go? Well, there's joeblogsf1.com, which takes you to my blog, um, which I try to keep up to date. But in the last few days, it's been very busy. So I I haven't done much for the couple of days. Um, And then we have uh, flatoutpublishing.com where you can get all the other stuff. Just look around on the buy now and all the various other little tabs and you'll find it flat out publishing. And that sort of tells the story of my life. So, Joe, thank you very much for your time and joining us on the 19th edition of Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Mist Apex. You're in France right now. When do you make the trip down to Paul Ricard? Well, I'll still be in France then, won't I? Um, <laughs> on Thursday morning. I I shall be going, but I've got other things to do in the meantime. I'm rushing off somewhere tomorrow and then back again. And and then uh, it's all very busy this time of year. And then after I leave for Paul Ricard, I shall be back for one day um, before the middle of July. So um, it's a very bit. We've got three races in three weekends, the first time in Formula One history. And. And if we journalists think we're having a hard time, boy, (laughs) you want to be one of the teams. because. Um, they are not going to have fun at all. I'll bet. And uh, I bet their wives aren't going to be all that happy either. Their wives or husbands. Um, or, or what wives or husbands? Because most of them will have left by now, probably. It's the way it is in Formula One. You know, there is a saying about Formula One, there are more divorced people than there are people. Yeah, I've been in a, a trade similar to that myself, Joe. Who's going to be leading the championship after this triple header? I should think Lewis Hamilton will be. Interesting. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. I've been Spanners Ready. Follow me on Twitter at Spanners Ready and follow this podcast at Missed Apex F1 until the French Grand Prix race review. Remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex. Clickety-click goes Joe's pen. Thumpity-thump goes Joe's passions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.